0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Nefesh Podcast, Episode 7. Thanks for joining me. It's good to have you. you. If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining. If you've been listening, I hope you are enjoying it as much as I am enjoying talking with you and sharing. You know, I've been reading articles recently, several articles that are highlighting a current trend That is going on in the workplace and it's what's called quiet quitting quiet quitting where people uh people in the workplace are expressing such a sense of overwhelming feeling of overwhelm and and uh being overwhelmed by life and overwhelmed by work and in some situations tired of having gone above and beyond Uh, at their job. And maybe during the pandemic had to work more hours for the same amount of pay or less pay, or um, maybe just not liking their job or their surroundings, or just struggling with life overall. And so essentially they're just doing the bare minimum. They are, they're just doing the very, the very basic of what is expected of them and nothing beyond that. Uh, Somebody said to me, uh, Another term that they heard was working for their wage, that a person is only working for the the amount that they believe or the wage. Uh, they're putting in the amount of work that they believe they should based upon how they're being paid. I think it reflects the current mood, at least in some segments of society, this feeling of resignation. And we know that's another thing that's been taking place all over, that that people have been Uh, resigning their jobs, even without anything uh, to support them, even without anything uh, lined up. Over the last few months, especially during the pandemic, people were resigning left and right because uh, a lot of reasons and and probably job-related or being forced to go back to work on site as opposed to being able to be remote. But I think... At a, at a deeper reason for both of these the the great resignation as they called it and now quiet quitting i think there is a sense of hopelessness and despair and um and even a sense of resignation in the despair or in the hopelessness as if there's there's nothing that can be done life is just the way it is it's not getting any better and it's really 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 hard I've shared before that you know, we we as humans, we were built to survive. That that this almighty divine being who created us, created us so incredibly, so wonderfully, and created us with this ability to survive, to constantly or, or to deal with challenges and changes, even constant ones and we get used to it we adjust so that we can adapt so if we're if we are dealing with constant stress and constant challenge our bodies are designed to go into protective or survival mode uh, psychologists will talk about going into a state of numbness or maybe even dissociation where we disconnect even our emotions and our uh, our emotions disconnect from our from from our mind or our bodies, so to speak. They're, they still are attached, of course, but they're shut off so that we can survive, that we, we could just keep going. People who experience ex, uh, extreme trauma and a, and a consistent amount of trauma over a period of time will, will uh, process through a type of disassociation or numbness If they, in fact, do survive, that's how they survive. Their bodies, their minds, even their souls get used to it. It's it's as if it goes, uh, it's as if the soul goes into hibernation. And growth during that time feels like it's not an option. Really, all that can be done is just survive. One foot in front of the other, one thought in front of the other one, one step, one word in front of the other. There's, it's just about survival. It's just about everything else may may be functioning, but at a minimum level, level like like our bodies do in a type of hibernation, bears and other animals and creatures who do this, their, their bodies go into a state of just minimal functioning so that they can survive. Um, particularly if we're talking about extreme weather, like, like cold and snow. Our bodies were built to survive. They were built to survive even the most challenging or difficult of circumstances. Having now, we are. it feels like we are now coming on the other side of the pandemic, COVID-19, although we're not still through it fully, but we're, we're trying to come out on the other side. And living through two, two and a half years of of such an extreme isolation, lockdown, um, access to things that you we would normally take for granted, particularly here in the West, in the Western world, we take a lot for granted, and access to things that we, we might take for granted, uh, being taken away from us, but even just the very um, essence of social contact tact, and be the, the ability to be able to touch people physically as we shared last week uh, in the last episode leo in his experience in the hospital having had covid and being in an isolation room no windows just in this room by himself and and only nurses and doctors coming in to check on him or, or help him every once in a while but being totally alone and for such a long period of time And particularly for us today is time, time is something that is just like a, I mean, it's like a fast paced thing that just rushes us along like a, like a strong moving current. It's like we're caught up in it. And so the idea that everything kind of slows down or stops and, and there's so much uncertainty and, and unknowns about it. And then in the midst of that, we've got social and civil unrest, as we saw with, with the, um, uh, after the George Floyd incident and other, other incidents involving uh, police and, and people of color and um, and the challenges that came about with that and then the election and then the January 6th incident where for the United States in particular, a sense of alarm and not just uncertainty, but alarm and fear as it was unclear what was going on in the government and who was in charge and who would be in charge. I know countries all over the world deal with these types of things, particularly shifting governments and and chaos, maybe even civil wars um, on an ongoing basis in the United States. We have not had to deal with that type of thing in a long time and here face to face with it in the midst of a pandemic.
1: It's overwhelming. We go into survival mode.
0: For some of us, it's it's all we can do to get up in the morning and go to work. And for others, it's, it's not even, they're not even, even able to do that. It's interesting, and I I think we'll be studying this idea, or or the historically and sociologically we'll be studying the events of COVID nineteen, and particularly the events taking place in America. We will be studying it for a long time. But I think it's no coincidence between the start of the pandemic and the the building of tension with with the racial tension as it relates to um, people of color and police and racism, and particularly uh, a COVID, with COVID-19 racism against those of Asian descent. It's no, it's no coincidence that you see tensions flaring and, and eruptions of emotion that we saw, particularly in May, 2020. Just a few months after the start of the pandemic, it's as if everybody was on this state of of being overwhelmed and uncertain and anxious. And now that we're coming out the other side, there is a sense of uh, relief. And I know that not everybody's out the other side. People are dealing with long COVID. People are dealing with ongoing health issues. People are dealing with with, uh, loss of income, loss of work. Churches have yet to fully recover from how they were impacted in COVID. Schools have shut down and some have, have yet to recover from the impact. Businesses have closed. And of course, people have lost their lives. But as we are kind of coming out of it and coming on the other side, there seems to be a prevailing sense of numbness, tiredness,
1: resignation. It's interesting that that psychologists,
0: in studying or understanding people uh, and babies who have experienced uh, what. What they call uh, what they or what they used to refer to as infant depression. there might be a newer term today, but um, infant depression, where infants who who have parents or caregivers who are unresponsive, if they are left on their own crying or unattended on their own in in cribs, and their cries for help are not attended to, if they are not responded to, if they're, when they voice their cry for help through crying, whether they're hungry or they need to be changed or they're tired or they just want comfort, when those cries for help, especially I believe it's in the first year of their life when they are not, uh, when babies are not responded to quickly and, and with comfort and care, in those those first few months, long-term problems can develop things like uh, complex trauma, but early on, especially what's known as infant depression, where an infant will no longer cry after a while. Instead of crying constantly, or crying naturally when there is a problem, they will cease to cry they will cease to reflect um, emotion on that level because they learn somehow again survival they learn that nobody is responding to them and so they just they cease whether they cease fully or cease partially their emotions become stunted because They've, they've not been given a safe place to express those emotions and have them be, be heard. Their cry hasn't been attended to, so they stop crying. They give up. I love when I when I read parts of the of the Bible, and particularly the Old Testament of the Bible. The Old Testament is um is, is part of what we share with with um, with the Jewish faith, it is the, the same. They, they may have a few extra books in there um, than the Protestant faith. And the Catholic tradition has a few extra books than the Protestant tradition. But I, I love looking at the Old Testament part of the Bible because it I just love how it's so interesting and it's so old. It's you know thousands of years old and the experiences are thousands of years old. And I just find so many parts of it, there's such rich meaning there, whether it's the narratives or the Psalms or the uh, Proverbs. I haven't really found much benefit from the Song of Solomon. Um, I don't know if I'm missing something or what, but that's a book that yeah, I just kind of like, I try to find some some meaning, but it, it just kind of escapes me. But for the most part, most of the Old Testament um, is I, 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 even Leviticus, surprisingly, I, I'm able to dive into and really uh, find such meaning and depth. And and I love in the books of particularly in the books of Gen- Genesis and Exodus, where we see just the early narratives of 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 Abraham and of um, and even of the Israelites. I love the stories where it describes people in distress and these people in their distress, they cry out to God. And what the Bible does is it puts these anthropomorphic qualities onto God, anthropomorphic meaning, you know, human-like qualities. And in the narrative, in order to, to make it Um, really to help people understand it describes God hearing the cries or the cries coming up to God and he hears and then he responds. You see this in the book of Genesis with the story of, of Abraham and Hagar and Sarah and in Genesis chapter twenty one it it describes Hagar. Hagar is essentially the it becomes Abraham's second wife. She's a servant to Sarah, and she really is mistreated,
1: unfortunately. And what I love about the story of Hagar
0: is that it shows that despite Abraham and Sarah's mistake and mistreatment. God doesn't cast off this woman who was a slave. She was an Egyptian slave. He doesn't ignore her or mistreat her or, or say, hey, you know, Abraham and Sarah, they really blew it. She, Hagar's really not important to my plan. So it really doesn't matter. He seems to be, God seems to be attentive to Hagar and her mistreatment. It's one of the things that I see, I believe we see throughout the Bible is that God is attentive and responsive to those who are oppressed, who are mistreated, who seem to be the outcasts, who are not what we would say the best of the best or the richest, the smartest, the most important. It's like he fights for the underdog. I love that about these narratives and what we see of this picture of God. And in Genesis 21, the the translations and the original Hebrew are a little unclear. And some translations describe the boy crying and god hearing the boy cry but other translators other hebrew scholars believe that it's actually the hagar who is crying and we see a similar story in in just five chapters before in chapter 16 where god promises to bless hagar she runs away uh, because she's being mistreated and god an angel of the lord on god's behalf talks to her and promises her great blessing and she goes back to abraham and sarah is um, you know gives birth to ishmael and then sarah sends ishmael and hagar away doesn't want them anymore and so it's very possible that god that that
1: actually god is responding to hagar's cry And he comes and he comforts her and he takes care of her and he provides water
0: for her and her boy. And they're able to go off and Ishmael develops into um, into his own nation that, that God preserves despite their mistreatment. Whether it is bo- the boy, Ishmael or Hagar, In chapter 21, it describes the cry, that God hears the crying, and he responds, and he cares for the two of them. It's interesting that we see a similar narrative or at least a similar theme of God responding in Exodus chapter 2. And this is now the Israelites who have become enslaved to the Egyptians. I've always wondered if that was a coincidence or if there is something more there. The fact that the Israelites come from the tribe, from the lineage of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah have this slave, Hagar, whom they mistreat. And yet a few hundred years later, Abraham's descendants are enslaved to the Egyptians. And it's in their slavery that in chapter two of Exodus, it says that they began, the Israelites began to groan and cry under the weight of the Egyptians who were just loading them down with burdens. And it says that their cry came before the Lord. He heard their their cry and he remembered the promise that he made to Abraham, that he was going to bless Abraham. And it, it shows the narrative shows God putting in place the steps to putting Moses in power or putting Moses in the, the Egyptian court. And then, and then allowing Moses's character to develop after 40 years. And, uh, you know, in caring for his father-in-law's sheep in the desert and then coming back and
1: rescuing his people, the Israelites. God hears the cry of those who are
0: mistreated, oppressed, or just simply hurting. He hears the cry and he responds. Our challenge today in today's world is that it's very hard to see
1: how and when God is responding. The life is so full and so busy
0: and chaotic and all we can do sometimes is just survive.
1: And yet God hears and responds to our
0: cries. He may not respond
1: in the way that we would like or at the time that we would like. But God is at work in the lives of all who will really let him and
0: the belief is especially by some and including Dallas Willard is that god is is attempting to establish his kingdom and to reshape this world into a place where he and his justice and his righteousness and his mercy and his peace truly rule and reign and it's when those things are true that the chaos and the turmoil and the
1: unnecessary pain goes away. Believing that God is at work and intentionally seeking after him And trying to be aware of what he is doing in the world and in your life is really a significant part and may be
0: the essence of spiritual formation. Being aware of what God is doing in our lives and not getting in the way of it but rather allowing him to be at work trusting that he is hearing and responding and doing and working behind the scenes in ways that we probably won't understand but seeing a larger purpose at work in this world the apostle paul in the new testament part of the bible First Corinthians fifteen, he's describing the resurrection and and the belief, how how important it is to believe that Jesus is in fact raised from the dead. It really is the
1: resurrection that is the proof that he is the Son of God. and he's he's saying,
0: this is so important, guys, this is so important that you understand if if Christ is not raised, then we are, of all people, lost and without hope. But if Christ did in fact rise from the dead, and according to him, over 500 people saw Christ after he had been killed, if Christ really is raised from the dead, then that is our hope that everything that he said was true and that everything that he did was real and that the promise of something bigger and greater is true and that this life in all of its struggle and pain and sometimes meaningless, feeling like meaningless toil, there is something bigger and greater, that there is a God who is at work behind the scenes and in our lives if we will let him. If Christ is raised from the dead, if what happened and what was said is true, then it is true now. And our hope, our hope is in that same God. That the trials and the troubles and the challenges, that he is at work in all of those things, that he is at work behind the scenes and in our lives, again, if we will allow him to do it, that he is responding to our cry, that the same God who responded to the cry of Hagar, to the Egyptians,
1: to the woman with the issue of blood, to
0: the thief on the cross, who next to Jesus as Jesus was giving up his life, the thief on the cross, said, "Remember me, Lord, when you go. When you go into your. Into your into eternity, into paradise. Remember me." And Jesus tells him, "Today you will be with me in paradise." Jesus responded to the cry of even. A criminal next to him, dying next to him. Jesus heard and responded. We may be in a time of quiet quitting, the great resignation, COVID aftermath and, and aftershocks of civil unrest, of of social unrest, of, of country unrest, of, of education uh, uh, unknowns, of of so many things that are challenging us, of laws uh, changing and and changing the way we, we, we do things. And yet one thing is certain, one thing still remains true and that is God. If we can pull away, be attentive, be aware, attempt to tune into what God is doing in our lives. Hopefully we can then not only allow Him to do it, but be part of, rather than get in the way of what He is trying to do in the midst of what we are experiencing. And may we continue to cry out to Him. May our cries not stop, but in faith continue to cry out and reach out believing that he is hearing, and that he is responding. Well, I hope this has encouraged you just as much as it has encouraged me talking about it. And um, I'm excited. I'm excited to have you uh, join us next time. I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation that I'm going to have with a friend of mine. Um, And I, I look forward to seeing you virtually listening uh, next time. Take care.